Section 30 of The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Asterix. The Naval Officer, or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay by captain frederick marriott chapter twenty three in all states of europe there are a set of men who assume from their infancy a pre-eminence independent of their moral character the attention paid to them from the moment of their birth gives them the idea that they are formed for command and they soon learn to consider themselves a distinct species and being secure of a certain rank and station take no pains to make themselves worthy of it Raynal. it is now time to make my reader acquainted with my new ship and new captain the first was a frigate of the largest class built on purpose to cope with the large double-banked frigates of the yankees she carried thirty long twenty-four pounders on her main deck and the same number of forty-two pound carronades on her quarter gangways and forecastle i had been a week on board doing duty during the day and flirting on shore at mr somerville's at blackheath during the evening i had seen no captain yet and the first lieutenant had gone on shore one morning to stretch his legs i was commanding officer the people were all at their dinner it was a drizzling soft rain and i was walking the quarter-deck by myself when a shore-boat came alongside with a person in plain clothes i paid him no attention supposing him to be a wine merchant or a slop seller come to ask permission to serve the ship the stranger looked at the dirty man-ropes which the side-boys held off to him and inquired if there was not a clean pair the lad replied in the negative and the stranger perceiving there was no remedy took hold of the dirty ropes and ascended the side reaching the quarter-deck he came up to me and showing a pair of sulphur-coloured gloves bedaubed with tar and dirt angrily observed by god sir i have spoiled a new pair of gloves i always take my gloves off when i come up the side said i but i choose to keep mine on said the stranger and why could not i have had a pair of clean ropes because said i my orders are only to give them when the side is piped and why was not the side piped for me sir because sir we never pipe the side until we know who it is for as sure as i shall sit in the house of peers i will report you to your captain for this said he we only pipe the side for officers in uniform said i and i am yet to learn by what right you demand that honour i am sir said he showing his card blankety blank etc do you know me now yes sir said i as a gentleman but until i see you in a captain's uniform i cannot give you the honours you demand as i said this i touched my hat respectfully then sir said he as sure as i shall sit in the house of peers i shall let you know more of this and having asked whether the captain was on board and received an answer in the negative he turned round and went down the side into his boat without giving me an opportunity of supplying him with a pair of clean ropes 
he pulled away for the shore and i never heard anything more of the dirty ropes and soiled gloves this officer i afterwards learned was in the habit of interlarding his discourse with this darling object of his ambition but as he is now a member of the upper house it is to be supposed he has exchanged the affidavit for some other while he commanded a ship he used to say as sure as i shall sit in the house of peers i will flog you my man and when this denunciation had passed his lips the punishment was never remitted with us the reverse of this became our byword lieutenants midshipmen sailors and marines asserted their claim to veracity by saying as sure as i shall not sit in the house of peers this was the noble lord who when in the command of one of his majesty's ships in china employed a native of that country to take his portrait the resemblance not having been flattering the artist was sharply rebuked by his patron the poor man replied i oh master how can handsome face make if handsome face no have got this story has like many other good stories been pirated and applied to other cases but i claim it as the legitimate property of the navy and can vouch for its origin as i have related my messmates dropped in one after another until our number was completed and at length a note in an envelope addressed to the first lieutenant on service and marked on the lower left-hand corner with the name of the noble writer announced that our captain would make his appearance on the following day we were of course prepared to receive him in our full uniforms with our cocked hats and swords with the marine guard under arms he came alongside at half-past twelve o'clock when the men were at dinner an unusual hour to select as it is not the custom ever to disturb them at their meals if it can be avoided he appeared in a sort of undress frock-coat fall-down collar anchor-buttons no epaulettes and a lancer's cap with a broad gold band this was not correct but as he was a lord he claimed privilege and on this rock of privilege we found afterwards that he always perched himself on every occasion we were all presented to him and to each he condescended to give a nod his questions were all confined to the first lieutenant and all related to his own comforts where is my steward to lie where is my valet to sleep where is my cowpen and where are my sheep to be we discovered when he had been one hour in our company that his noble self was the god of his idolatry as for the details of the ship and her crew masts rigging stowage provisions the water she would carry and how much she drew they were subjects on which he never fatigued his mind one hour having expired since he had come on board he ordered his boat and returned to the shore and we saw no more of him until we arrived at spithead when his lordship came on board accompanied by a person whom we soon discovered was a half-pay purser in the navy a man who by dint of the grossest flattery and numerous little attentions had so completely ingratiated himself with his patron that he had become as necessary an appendage to the travelling equipage as the portmanteau or the valet de chambre this despicable toady was his lordship's double 
he was a living type of the gnato of terence and i never saw him without remembering the passage that ends si negat id quoque nego black was white and white was black with toady if his lordship pleased he messed in the cabin did much mischief in the ship and only escaped kicking because he was too contemptible to be kicked my fair readers are no doubt anxious to know how i parted with emily and truly i am not unwilling to oblige them though it is indeed a tender subject as soon as we received our orders to proceed to spithead mr somerville who had kept his house at blackheath while the ship was fitting in hopes that my promotion might have taken place before she was ready now prepared to quit the place to the renewed application of my father the answer was that i must go abroad for my promotion this at once decided him to break up his summer quarters very wisely foreseeing that unless he did so my services would be lost to my ship and if he and emily did not leave me behind at woolwich i should probably be left behind by my captain he therefore announced his intended departure within twenty-four hours emily was very sorry and so was i i kindly reproached her with her cruelty but she replied with a degree of firmness and good sense which i could not but admire that she had but one counsellor and that was her father and that until she was married she never intended to have any other that by his advice she had delayed the union and as we were neither of us very old people i trust in god said she we may meet again i admired her heroism gave her one kiss handed her into her carriage and we shook hands i need not say i saw a tear or two in her eyes mr somerville saw the shower coming on pulled up the glass gave me a friendly nod and the carriage drove off the last i saw of emily at that time was her right hand which carried her handkerchief to her eyes after the dear inmates were gone i turned from the door of the house in disgust and ran direct to my boat like a dog with a tin kettle when i got on board i hated the sight of everybody and the smell of everything pitch paint bilge water tar and rum entering into horrible combination had conspired against me and i was as sick and as miserable as the most love-sick seaman can conceive i have before observed that we had arrived at spithead and as i have nothing new to say of that place i shall proceed to sea we sailed for the north american station the pleasantest i could go to when away from emily our passage was tedious and we were put on short allowance of water those only who have known it will understand it all felt it but the captain who claiming privilege took a dozen gallons every day to bathe his feet in and that water when done with was greedily sought for by the men there was some murmuring about it which came to the captain's ears who only observed with an apathy peculiar to olmacs well you know if a man has no privilege what's the use of being captain very true my lord said the toad-eater with a low bow i will now give a short description of his lordship he was a smart dapper well-made man with a handsome but not an intellectual countenance 
cleanly and particular in his person and assisted by the puffs of toady had a very good opinion of himself proud of his aristocratic birth and still more vain of his personal appearance his knowledge on most points was superficial high life and anecdotes connected with it were the usual topics of his discourse at his own table he generally engrossed all the conversation and while his guests drank his wine they laughed with counterfeited glee etc his reading was comprised in two volumes octavo being the memoirs of the count de gramont which amusing and aristocratical work was never out of his hand he had been many years at sea but strange to say knew nothing literally nothing of his profession seamanship navigation and everything connected with the service he was perfectly ignorant of i had heard him spoken of as a good officer before he joined us and i must in justice to him say that he was naturally good-tempered and i believe as brave a man as ever drew a sword he seldom made any professional remark being aware of his deficiency and never ventured beyond his depth intentionally when he came on the quarter-deck he usually looked at the weather main brace and if it was not as taut as a bar would order it to be made so here he could not easily commit himself but it became a byword with us when we laughed at him below he had a curious way of forgetting or pretending to forget the names of men and things i presume because they were so much beneath him and in their stead substituted the elegant phrases of what's his name what do you call em and thingumbob one day he came on deck and actually gave me the following very intelligible order mr what's his name have the goodness to what do you call em the the thingumbob aye aye my lord said i after guard haul taut the weather main brace this was exactly what he meant he was very particular and captious when not properly addressed when an order is given by a commanding officer it is not unusual to say very good sir implying that you perfectly understand and are going cheerfully to obey it i had adopted this answer and gave it to his lordship when i received an order from him saying very good my lord mr mildmay said his lordship i don't suppose you mean anything like disrespect but i will thank you not to make that answer again it is for me to say very good and not you you seem to approve of my order and i don't like it i beg you will not do it again you know very good my lord said i so inveterate is habit i beg your lordship's pardon i meant very well i don't much like that young man said his lordship to his toady who followed him up and down the quarter-deck like the bobtail cur looking his master in the face i did not hear the answer but of course it was an echo the first time we reefed topsails at sea the captain was on deck he said nothing but merely looked on the second time we found he had caught all the words of the first lieutenant and repeated them in a loud and pompous voice without knowing whether they were applicable to the case or not the third time he fancied he was able to go alone and down he fell he made a sad mistake indeed hoist away the fore topsail said the first lieutenant hoist away the fore topsail said the captain 
the men were stamping aft and the topsail yards travelling up to the mast's head very fast when they were stopped by a sudden check with the four topsail halyards what's the matter said the first lieutenant calling to me who was at my station on the forecastle something foul of the topsail tie i replied what's the matter forward said the captain topsail tie is foul my lord answered the first lieutenant damn the topsail tie cut it away out knife there aloft i will have the topsail hoisted cut away the topsail tie for the information of my land readers i should observe that the topsail tie was the very rope which was at that moment suspending the yard aloft the cutting it would have disabled the ship until it could have been repaired and had the order been obeyed the topsail yard itself would in all probability have been sprung or broken to on the cap we arrived at halifax without falling in with an enemy and as soon as the ship was secured i went on shore to visit all my dear dulcineers every one of whom i persuaded that on her account alone i had used my utmost interest to be sent out on the station fortunately for them and for me i was not long permitted to trifle away my time we were ordered to cruise on the coast of north america it was winter and very cold we encountered many severe gales of wind during which time we suffered much from the frequent and sudden snowstorms northeast gales and sharp frosts which rendered our running rigging almost unmanageable and obliged us to pour boiling water into the sheaves of the blocks to thaw them and allow the ropes to traverse nor did the cold permit the captain to honour us with his presence on deck more than once in the twenty-four hours we anchored off a part of the coast which was not in a state of defence and the people being unprotected by their own government considered themselves as neutrals and supplied us with as much fish poultry and vegetables as we required while we lay here the captain and officers frequently went on shore for a short time without molestation one night after the captain had returned a snowstorm and a gale of wind came on the captain's gig which ought to have been hoisted up was not she broke her painter and went adrift and had been gone some time before she was missed the next morning on making inquiry it was found that the boat had drifted on shore a few miles from where we lay and that having been taken possession of by the americans they had removed her to a hostile part of the coast twenty-two miles off the captain was very much annoyed at the loss of his boat which he considered as his own private property although built on board by the king's men and with the king's plank and nails as my private property said his lordship it ought to be given up you know i did not tell him that i had seen the sawyers cutting an anchor stock into the plank of which it was built and that the said plank had been put down to other services in the expense book this however was no business of mine nor had i any idea that the loss of this little boat would so nearly produce my final catastrophe so it was however and very serious results took place in consequence of this accident they must respect private property you know said the captain to the first lieutenant yes answered the lieutenant but they do not know that it is private property very true then i will send and tell them so and down he went to his dinner 
the yawl was ordered to be got ready and hoisted out at daylight and i had notice given me that i was to go away in her about nine o'clock the next morning i was sent for into the cabin his lordship was still in bed and the green silk curtains were drawn close round his cot mr thingamy said his lordship you will take the what's-his name you know yes my lord said i and you will go to that town and ask for my thingum-bob for your gig my lord said i yes that's all but my lord suppose they won't give it to me then take it suppose the gig is not there my lord and if there suppose they refuse to give it up then take every vessel out of the harbour very well my lord am i to put the gun in the boat or to take muskets only oh no no arms take a flag of truce number eight white flag will do suppose they will not accept the flag of truce my lord oh but they will they always respect a flag of truce you know i beg your lordship's pardon but i think a few muskets in the boat would be of service no 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 arms you will be fighting about nothing you have your orders sir yes thinks i i have if i succeed i am a robber if i fail i am liable to be hanged on the first tree i left the cabin and went to the first lieutenant i told him what my orders were this officer was as i before observed a man who had no friends and was therefore entirely dependent on the captain for his promotion and was afraid to act contrary to his lordship's orders however absurd i told him that whatever might be the captain's orders i would not go without arms the orders of his lordship must be obeyed said the lieutenant why said i irritated at his folly you are as clever a fellow as the skipper this he considered so great an affront that he ran down to his cabin saying you shall hear from me again for this sir i concluded that he meant to try me by a court-martial to which i had certainly laid myself open by this unguarded expression but i went on the quarter-deck and during his absence got as many muskets into the boat as i wanted with a proper proportion of ammunition this was hardly completed before the lieutenant came up again and put a letter into my hands which was no more than the very comfortable intelligence that on my return from the expedition on which i was then going he should expect satisfaction for the affront i had offered him i was glad however to find it was no worse i laughed at his threat and as the very head and front of my offending was only having compared him to the captain he could not show any resentment openly for fear of displeasing his patron in short to be offended at it was to offer the greatest possible affront to the man he looked up to for promotion and thus destroy all his golden prospects as i put this well-timed challenge into my pocket i walked down the side got into my boat and put off it wanted but one hour of sunset when i reached the part where this infernal gig was supposed to be and the sky gave strong indications of an approaching gale indeed i do not believe another captain in the navy could have been found who at such a season of the year would have risked a boat so far from the ship on an enemy's coast and a lee shore for such a worthless object my crew consisted of twenty men and a midshipman when we arrived off the mouth of the harbour we perceived four vessels lying at anchor and pulled directly in 
we had however no opportunity of trying our flag of truce for as soon as we came within range of musket shot a volley from two hundred concealed militiamen struck down four of my men there was then nothing left for it but to board and bring out the vessels two of them were aground and we set them on fire it being dead low water thanks to the delay in the morning in doing this we had more men wounded i then took possession of the other two vessels and giving one of them in charge of the midshipman who was quite a lad i desired him to weigh his anchor i gave him the boat with all the men except four which i kept with me the poor fellow probably lost more men for he cut his cable and got out before me i weighed my anchor but had one of my men killed by a musket-ball in doing it i stood out after the midshipmen we had gained an offing of four miles when a violent gale and snowstorm came on the sails belonging to the vessel all blew to rags immediately being very old i had no resource except to anchor which i did on a bank in five fathom water the other vessel lost all her sails and having no anchor as i then conjectured and afterwards learned drifted on shore and was dashed to pieces the people being either frozen to death wounded or taken prisoners the next morning i could see the vessel lying on shore a wreck covered with ice a dismal prospect to me as at that time i knew not what had become of the men my own situation was even less enviable the vessel was frail and deeply laden with salt a cargo which if it by any means gets wet is worse than water since it cannot be pumped out and becomes as heavy as lead nothing could in that event have kept the vessel afloat and we had no boat in case of such an accident i had three men with me besides the dead body in the cabin and a pantry as clear as an empty house not an article of any description to eat i was four miles from the shore in a heavy gale of wind the pleasure of which was enhanced by snow and the bitterest cold i ever experienced we proceeded to examine the vessel and found that there was on board a quantity of sails and canvas that did not fit but had been bought with an intention of making up for this vessel and not before she wanted them there was also an abundance of palms needles and twine but to eat there was nothing except salt and to drink nothing but one cask of fresh water we kindled a fire in the cabin and made ourselves as warm as we could taking a view on deck now and then to see if she drove or if the gale abated she pitched heavily taking in whole seas over the forecastle and the water froze on the deck the next morning we found we had drifted a mile nearer to the shore and the gale continued with unabated violence the other vessel lay a wreck with her masts gone and as it were in terrorum staring us in the face we felt the most pinching hunger we had no fuel after the second day except what we pulled down from the bulkheads of the cabin we amused ourselves below making a suit of sails for the vessel and drinking hot water to repel the cold but this work could not have lasted long the weather became more intensely cold and twice did we set the prize on fire in our liberality with the stove to keep ourselves warm the ice formed on the surface of the water in our kettle till it was dissolved by the heat from the bottom 
the second night passed like the first and we found in the morning that we had drifted within two miles of the shore we completed our little sails this day and with great difficulty contrived to bend them the men were now exhausted with cold and hunger and proposed that we should cut our cable and run on shore but i begged them to wait till the next morning as these gales seldom lasted long this they agreed to and we again huddled together to keep ourselves warm the outside man pulling the dead man close to him by way of a blanket the gale this night moderated and towards the morning the weather was fine although the wind was against us and to beat her up to the ship was impossible from the continued freezing of the water the bobstays and the rigging were coated with ice five or six inches thick and the forecastle was covered with two feet of clear ice showing the ropes coiled underneath it there was no more to be done so desiring the men to cut the cable i made up my mind to run the vessel on shore and give myself up we hoisted the foresail and i stood in with the intention of surrendering myself and people at a large town which i knew was situated about twelve miles farther on the coast to have given myself up at the place where the vessels had been captured i did not think would have been prudent when we made sail on the third morning we had drifted within half a mile of the shore and very near the place we had left field pieces had been brought down to us they had the range but they could not reach us i continued to make more sail and to creep along shore until i came within a few cables length of the pier where men women and children were assembled to see us land when suddenly a snowstorm came on the wind shifted and blew with such violence that i could neither see the port nor turn the vessel to windward into it and as i knew i could not hold my own and that the wind was fair for our ship then distant about forty miles we agreed to up helm and scud for her this was well executed about eleven at night we hailed her and asked for a boat they had seen us approaching and a boat instantly came taking us all on board the frigate and leaving some fresh hands in charge of the prize i was mad with hunger and cold and with difficulty did we get up the side so exhausted and feeble were the whole of us i was ordered down into the cabin for it was too cold for the captain to show his face on deck i found his lordship sitting before a good fire with his toes in the grate a decanter of madeira stood on the table with a wine-glass and most fortunately though not intended for my use a large rummer this i seized with one hand and a decanter with the other and filling a bumper swallowed it in a moment without even drinking his lordship's good health he stared and i believe thought me mad i certainly do own that my dress and appearance perfectly corresponded with my actions i had not been washed shaved or cleaned since i had left the ship three days before my beard was grown my cheeks hollow my eyes sunk and for my stomach i leave that to those fortunate frenchmen who escaped from the russian campaign who only can appreciate my sufferings my whole haggard frame was enveloped in a huge blue flushing coat frosted like a plum cake with ice and snow as soon as i could speak i said i beg pardon my lord but i have had nothing to eat or drink since i left the ship oh then you are very welcome said his lordship i never expected to see you again then why the devil did you send me thought i to myself 
during this short dialogue i had neither been offered a chair nor any refreshment of which i stood so much in need and if i had been able should have been kept standing while i related my adventures i was about to commence when the wine got into my head and to support myself i leaned or rather staggered on the back of a chair never mind now said the captain apparently moved from his listless apathy by my situation go and make yourself comfortable and i will hear it all to-morrow this was the only kind thing he had ever done for me and it came so apropos that i felt grateful to him for it thanked him and went below to the gun-room where notwithstanding all i had heard and read of the dangers of repletion after long abstinence i ate voraciously and drank proportionably ever and anon telling my astonished messmates who were looking on what a narrow escape the dead body had of being dissected and broiled this from the specimen of my performance they had no difficulty in believing i recommended the three men who had been with me to the care of the surgeon and with his permission presented each of them with a pint of hot brandy and water well sweetened by way of a nightcap having taken these precautions and satisfied the cravings of nature on my own part as well as the cravings of curiosity on that of my messmates i went to bed and slept soundly till the next day at noon thus ended this anomalous and fatal expedition an ambassador sent with the sacred emblem of peace to commit an act of hostility under its protection to have been taken under such circumstances would have subjected us to be hung like dogs on the first tree to have gone unarmed would have been an act of insanity and i therefore took upon me to disobey an unjust and absurd order this however must not be pleaded as an example to juniors but a warning to seniors how they give orders without duly weighing the consequences the safest plan is always to obey thus did his majesty's service lose eighteen fine fellows under much severe suffering for a boat the private property of the captain not worth twenty pounds the next day as soon as i was dressed the first lieutenant sent to speak to me i then recollected the little affair of the challenge a delightful afterpiece thought i to the tragedy to be shot by the first lieutenant only for calling him as clever a fellow as the captain the lieutenant however had no such barbarous intentions he had seen and acknowledged the truth of my observation and being a well-meaning north countryman he offered me his hand which i took with pleasure having had quite enough of stimulus for that time End of chapter 23